Kids and adults alike have been hammered with the idea that we're to seize the day. Sadly, how we understand and live out carpe diem is to live in the moment with little regard for the past and not much thought at all about the future. Our homes and youth ministries should be places where this philosophy of life is challenged as we endeavor to become and to raise people who live in the now in light of our future eternal hope while treasuring the rich spiritual history of the past. One of the great Christian thinkers and cultural analysts of our time, Dr. Os Guinness, joins us to talk about how to live rightly, discern the times, and redeem the day on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, everybody, welcome to Youth Culture Matters. I'm Walt Mueller here at CPYU, and today I'm pretty excited uh, because I've got somebody joining us on the podcast today who has been a tremendous influence in my life, and for those of you who track with our ministry here at CPYU and have benefited from that, perhaps indirectly, uh, without even knowing it, you have been blessed by the ministry of Oz Guinness. And I'll just tell you a little bit before I turn it uh, turn to Oz and ask him some questions, but I know that those of you who track with us, you'll find things on our website, you'll hear us talk on podcasts about what we would call micro-trends, you know, things like texting while driving and the growing issue of anxiety among young people in our culture. We would look at things like disordered eating. Uh, recently, we've talked about things like adverse childhood experiences. Uh, we've talked about Planned Parenthood and their app called Rue. So those are the kinds of things that we would call micro-trends. But beneath that, there's there are currents in the worldview, uh, larger macro-trends that are driving what's happening in the culture. And this is where our guest today, Oskinis, is so helpful because he writes a lot prolifically and speaks uh, all over the place about what's happening, why it's happening, and what should be happening. He is one of my mentors from afar for so many years. He's an author and a social critic, written more than 30 books. Uh, Go find him on his website, osguinness.com, which we'll include a link to on the homepage for this episode of the podcast. And you'll find, if you go to his website, or even look for him on YouTube, his talks at universities, with politicians, with thinkers, business leaders, in the church. And uh, by the way, everyone wonders, yes, he is the great-great-great-grandson of Arthur Guinness, the Dublin brewer, so uh, we'll save you from asking that question. But Os Guinness, welcome to Youth Culture Matters. Thanks. A great delight to be with you. Thank you. Would you, before we get into the book, Os, would you talk, for those who are not familiar with you and your work, you know, what you're doing, uh, where you're spending your time, the types of things you're speaking on? I know I've done a little flyover of that, but just familiarize people with your work and your story. Well, um, put simply, I'm a Michigan. 70 years ago this year, I was in China at the climax of the Chinese Revolution. I remember my dad saying to me, son, we're in trouble. Chiang Kai-shek has just flown to Taiwan, which meant that the city, Nanjing, the capital then, was left to the communists to march in. And sure enough, they did. 
and I remember the climax of the Chinese Revolution. So I began there, came to faith when I went back to England. I went to London University, and what was decisive in my uh, young faith was meeting Francis Schaeffer and being shaped by a lot of his thinking. And since then, I've worked with the BBC and been over here since the mid-1980s, working in the Washington think tanks. But always my concern is trying to make sense of the gospel to those outside the faith and to try and make sense of the world in which we're living um, to our generation. Mm. Well, as you as you do that, one of the things that you've uh, spoken about and spoken to is the whole YOLO philosophy, you only live once. And for those who are parenting children and teens in today's world, even younger parents themselves and older parents, we have been taken captive by this philosophy. And you write about this in this new book, which I absolutely love, uh, Carpe Diem Redeemed, Seizing the Day, Discerning the Times. Talk a little bit about the YOLO philosophy, the significance of it, and our need to understand it. The church, the parents, those in youth ministry, why do we have to you know, grapple with this? Well, I start the book by saying when I saw a, some graffiti on a wall coming into some Pancras station in London that expressed the YOLO philosophy perfectly. You only live once and it doesn't last. So live it up, drink it down, laugh it off, burn it at both ends. You can't take it with you. You only live once. Now, that's a kind of bastard form of Epicurus, eat, drink, and be merry. But tomorrow we die, which is not actually what Epicurus believed. But it's the attitude of a lot of people today. Life is short. Just grab it while you can. And they forget that the original formulation of the YOLO philosophy was you only live once if then. In other words, a lot of people don't lead and examine life. They don't think enough, care enough to really think through what the meaning of life is. And so they miss the point of it all. And I think the shortness of life is a wonderful spur to challenge all of us to think through how do we make the most of this short, somewhat fragile, always vulnerable life we live on Earth? And there's nothing like the biblical answer to that. Hmm. You, in writing Carpe Diem, uh, Carpe Diem Redeemed, you reference a book that I believe sparked you to write this, or at least title it, uh, Roman Krasnerik's book, a philosopher who I was not familiar with till I read about him in your book. Uh, what has Krasnerik observed about our times, and how have you sought to answer the dilemma regarding our search for meaning? You know, how have you taken well, he, his work further? Sorry. He's an Australian and a popular philosopher, and his book I read, actually enjoyed it. It's well-written and fun, but he only has the atheist view, the secularist view. That was this life is all there is, and any meaning you want is do it yourself. And as I read it, I was increasingly frustrated. He has no idea of, on the one hand, you have the main view throughout history, certainly in the pagan world and in the Eastern religions today, what's called the cyclical view of time. Time is a wheel going round and round and round, reincarnation, eternal recurrence, this sort of stuff. And that is the main view in life based on the notion of the cycle of the seasons and so on. He, he doesn't have that at all. But above all, he doesn't have the real contrast, which is the biblical view, the Jewish and Christian view, that life has meaning 
history is going somewhere. Time has purpose. And as we come to know God, especially discovering our callings with our individual gifts, we become partners with God in the repair and restoration and direction of the world. And that's called the covenantal view of time. And it's very, very different and rich and profound. He doesn't have any sense of that. So his view, which I call the chronological view, is simply the covenantal view, the biblical view, shorn with all the supernatural and bubble, the Lord, just cut off. And so you have just a tick-tock, tick-tock chronological view of time. And if you want to make something of it, you do. But it's solely up to you, which is great when you're young, healthy, wealthy, and, and so on. But for most people, they realize they can't make much of an impact on time. And the biblical view is by far the richest and deepest. Hmm. When you look at the world today and you engage with young people, you watch the news, uh, you're hearing what's happening in our churches, how have you seen us jettison the covenantal view, many times without even knowing it, because we're so wrapped up in what's happening in the world, we're so influenced by the culture? What are some of the main areas of greatest concern for you? I don't know what you would call those playgrounds where we where we live and we engage with life. Uh, are there particular things we need to be especially aware of and start to push back with that more biblical view? Well, we'll take a couple of them. One would be the whole notion of progressivism, which came out of the Enlightenment in the 18th century. In other words, you don't need revelation. We have reason. We don't need heaven. We've got progress on earth. And so the idea the world's getting better and better and better by human efforts. And you have progressivism in theology and uh, a search for relevance, the seeker sensitive, the latest must be greatest, the newer must be truer. When it comes to young people, you have this search for the trendy whatever, which is just crazy. You know, the old remark by Dean Ng, he who marries the spirit of the age soon becomes a widower because the trends flow so fast that you're in touch with today's trend you're out of touch with tomorrow's and so on. So that's one challenge, the progressivism. It comes out in politics. People say that Christians say are on the wrong side of history. And it comes out in the church with this search to be relevant and seeker sensitive or take something else in terms of time, which is what I call generationalism. You know, generations used to be biological. So when our Lord in Luke refers to this generation in one chapter about six times, he's not talking about boomers and millennials and Xers and Ys and silent, all that sort of stuff. No, he's talking about everyone alive on the earth at the same time, which included the old and the young. Now, today, under the impact of marketing, you want to sell the latest model cars or the latest this, that, and the other, there's got to be annual turnover and even faster turnover. And so the idea that every generation is new and radically different from the one before is crazy. Every generation is really a pulse beat in the history of humanity, and we all need each other. And the fact is, those who are teenagers today, one day, will be old, and people will be scorning them. You, know, you, you were telling me about the OK Boomer, but of course, you know, I was young once, and now I'm old. And we've got to have a respect and appreciation between the generations. And the church, of course, is multi-generational. 
So generationalism represents an incredible gap. So if you look at the fact that the Generation Z doesn't have a love for America that the older generations did, or doesn't have an understanding of faith that the old generations had, people say, well, is Generation Z different? No, they just didn't have the faith passed on. In other words, the heart of the Bible is what the Jews rightly call transmission. You know, as, as the Jews say, what did Moses talk about the night of the Passover? They're going free. Hundreds of years of slavery. And tonight, they're going free. Did he talk about freedom? No. Did he talk about the promised land of milk and honey? No. What did he talk about? Children. In other words, passing it on. And three times, he says, you've got to tell the story to your kids and so on. And so you can see America and the American church, sadly, through generationalism, that transmission, passing it on, has collapsed. And that's incredibly damaging both to faith as well as to American freedom. Mm. Yeah, that's And that's great. I'm glad youth workers are listening in on this. And, and one of the aspects of this that I've been pushing on them with, and I sometimes get funny looks, is when I say something like, you know, if your church is doing a segregated worship where the middle schoolers are all in one room on a Sunday morning, if that's the time you gather for worship, the high schoolers are in another room, and all the adults are in big church, you're really undermining um, you're undermining the healthy functioning of the body of Christ, but you're also fostering exactly what you've just talked about, generationalism, which takes root and grows, and then we start to see each other as enemies almost, I think, at times, you know, between the generations. So there are particular practices in the church today that you've seen that you would push back on that would be very practical for the parents and the youth workers who are listening to hear from you and and process to to make what Moses talked about the transmission of the faith to children just happen you know begin to happen again well you put it well in terms of multi-generational worship that's incredibly important you know it this struck me the very first time i came to america as a tourist in 1968 and in six weeks of going east coast left coast harvard berkeley and all sorts of places in between i never was with a family that had supper together now in europe the family dining table is the place where the whole family meets and you learn about your heritage and family stories and all that. When I came to the U.S., you know, supper was like a kind of Grand Prix pit stop. In out, fast food, mother driving someone to a violin lesson or a sports game or whatever. And it lacked the cohesion. And you can see that it's practical things like that which break down generationalism, break it into generationalism. Well, take a second thing. Um, Christians are rightly suspicious of relativism, your truth, my truth, this sort of stuff. But generationalism is an age version of that. It's a generational thing you wouldn't understand, as if we're somehow different human beings, which is absolutely crazy. So we've got to root that out. I often point out to my American friends, you know, ever since there have been relay races, America has been on the podium, except in the Beijing Olympics. What happened for the first time in history, not a single American runner 
on the relay podiums. Now, I know you had Usain Bolt, who outran them all, but that wasn't the reason. The reason was they dropped the baton. And generationalism is a way of the church, also America, dropping the baton between the generations. And it's disastrous for faith and disastrous also for freedom. Mm. Let me go back and ask a question. You talked about the dinner table and supper. Uh, So we might talk about some of these very practical ways to undo what's been done. But the pushback many times from people in the church, whether it's parents themselves who are leading their families, maybe not very well, but leading their families, or from those who are leading ministries, youth workers, pastors, uh, church boards, elders, you might say, you know what, that's, that's nice, Oz, that you, you, you know, think that way, but that's so old-fashioned, and we're living differently now, so we have to adapt to the times. How would you answer that? You know, I understand it as a, you know, okay, call to live. Well, we need to live counterculturally. What would you say in response to that? Well, take your notion of counterculture, which I agree with solidly. You know, when the Lord called Abraham, the first responder, the first words are negative, leave. He had to leave his home, his culture, his city. And from then onwards, those who follow God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we who follow Jesus, we have to leave, break with our culture. We are truly countercultural. And so we've got to examine today the whole notion of fast life so that we're not driven. Do we have a Sabbath, a Sunday, that is really a time of freedom over against the drivenness of fast life, the 24-7 pressure? And we simply got to think it through. So there were things in the past that were relatively easy because they were natural and everyone did it. And now, under the pressure of advanced modern world, these things have to become intentional, deliberate, calculated, planned. And that means they're not easy. So, you know, I, I've worked with CEOs and so on. The notion of fast life comes up again and again and again. How, how, but at the end of the day, people have to think it through or they just become driven. How, how, how have you, I was going to ask, how have you advised people on the use of technology and specifically the smartphone, which we're so engaged with, you know, that the newest research has come out. Our kids are spending hours upon hours every day looking into screens, functioning in, in terms of their engagement with the world, primarily through screens and the world with them back through screens. Look, technology is here, and and here at CPYU, we don't demonize it. We say we want to learn to use it in a direction that brings honor and glory to God. What are some, some, have you thought through some of those practical practices that would be valuable uh, to hear you pass on to folks who are listening? Well, you know, brothers like Andy Crouch have done a great job in writing and talking a lot about that. But two of the deepest things, one is a sense of presence and the other a sense of wisdom and our triple screen gazing as they put it militates against presence you take sherry turkle and the book alone together Uh, you know the the photographs of kids around a table all texting each other looking at their devices not looking at each other at the heart of the gospel at the heart of the scripture is the presence of the lord what martin buber calls i thou So we've got to be present with the Lord. We've got to be present with our 
people we love and our neighbors and colleagues and not tied up with just everything through the triple screens. Or take, say, wisdom. You know, wisdom, which is the biblical notion of remembering, comes from, above all, the art of reading books. And yet people today, through triple screen gazing, just get their news and this, that, and the other uh, from the Internet. And that is absolutely disastrous. We've we've got to read books, not just because I'm a writer and I've written books and hope there are a few readers left, but importantly, books and above all biographies carry the wisdom of the centuries. And we as followers of Jesus should be people who appreciate these things. We're the guardians of history and wisdom and human dignity and things like this. We've got to have the courage to break with so many of the fashions and the trends of our own generation, which are disastrous. Hmm. Uh, all right. Before I get to my next question, something you said there sparked a thought or another question. I want to ask you about this very practically speaking. One of the things we're trying to do here at CPYU is get people to read. So we're actually using Facebook and we have a, a reading group of about 530 people who are reading books together every two months you mentioned biographies. If if you had a room full of youth workers, church youth workers, let's say, and you could recommend to them one or two biographies, say, hey, these would be really helpful for you to read, what would you recommend? Well, if you knew me, I never give reading lists because, you know, if you do things that every Christian should read, you, you come down to a few classics. Right. Um, but I think books should be horses for courses. In other words, I'd talk to a parent or a teenager and think, where are you now? Where's yeah. your spiritual journey at this moment? And then think of a book that would be, you know, apt for that person rather than a, a book list, which you hope everyone might benefit from. So I'm, yeah. I'm not a great champion of book lists, to be honest. But I try, you know, Christians should we mentioned biography. Biography is a wonderful way of taking in history. You don't read the history of the 18th century or something. You read a great story of some great life there. And the same is true with faith. And we need to know the story of great missionaries like Hudson Taylor or great men of prayer like George Mueller or, and so on, people like that, or you know, the, the women like Frances Nightingale and so on. So Christians should know their heritage and really know the stories of many of these great heroes of the faith who've gone before us. Mm. It, would you say a word about the importance of history? Because, you know, generationalism uh, or, you know, living in the moment, YOLO, we, we, we don't think about the past, we don't learn from the past, and we don't think about the consequences of our actions and our decisions, the things we're doing now for the future, you know, anything beyond like this moment. And I would say that when we look at young people, that's indicative of who they are. But just the importance of history, you know, why is history so important for us? Well, you know, the alternative, which you describe well, is literally suicidal. That'll be the end of the American Republic, and it'll be the crippling of the Christian church in America. You know, William Faulkner used to say the past isn't dead. It's not even the past. In other words, each of us is the product of the past, and that's our identity today. Now, you put it more biblically, the two words that recur again and again, or three, remember and don't forget. In other words, 
in scripture, memory is not just a matter of recall. How's your brain doing? Have you taken your Prevagen pill or something stupid like that? It's not a matter of recall. It's a matter of remembering because that's the way you've come. And memory should excite gratitude and should excite uh, humility. We've blown it in previous times. We should be people of remembering. Of course, the heart of it is communion service, remembering what our Lord has done for us. But you can see that idea of remember ever since the Exodus is at the heart of faith. And the American church is so preoccupied and obsessed with the present that it hasn't got any sense of memory. And that's absolutely disastrous. Now, you can say that tradition is a dead hand. But in fact, the past can be very inspiring because the heroes of the past make us realize we can do it again today. So the past can be a dead hand tradition, but it can also be incredible inspiration. And it's actually the present, which is a dead hand, because we think that whatever is, well, that's just the way it is. You can't change it. Yes, we can. You know, the exodus is a reminder that however tough situation is, there is always hope. There's always the possibility of transformation and revolutionary change. You've got to know history to be inspired by the past. Hmm. That, that's a good segue. I want to just read you a couple of, uh, well, one sentence from your book, uh, Carpe Diem Redeemed. And uh, th- I think this, this will lead us down the road to uh, bringing our conversation to an end because I think this is just brilliant. You know, God, you write, God calls us in the flux and flow of time and history and the gift of being able to seize the day flowers from a way of life that weaves together three principles walk before god read the signs of the times and serve god's purpose in your generation those are good marching orders i think for us in the church good marching orders for youth workers good marching orders for parents as well just a word about each well quickly you take say innovation in music or jazz or sports It's people who've mastered their sport or their discipline that are truly able to innovate. It's not someone just doing something spontaneously and randomly. And in the same way, you have someone like Francis of Assisi, incredibly spontaneous and innovative, but because it all came out of his incredibly deep love and knowledge of Jesus. So that's walk with him. You know, discerning the signs of the times, that's a tough one. Not easy. And we've got to wrestle with our times. It doesn't mean following the latest pundit. We've got to look at what's happening in our time in the light of how we see the significance of the kingdom. And we've got to take that example of the men of David who are skilled in reading the signs of the times or our our Lord's rebuke. You can read the weather, he said, but you don't read the signs of the times. You're missing the moment. And his weeping over Jerusalem, all because you missed God's moment when it came. And I think a lot of Christians are missing today's moment, for instance, which is why so much of the politics is crazy. But that's a tough one, and we've got to train ourselves to do that. And then the third one is, and that brings in a notion of calling, serving God's purpose in our generation, going back to Acts 13. Well, that means we know what our gifts are and our calling is, and each of us, our part is tiny in the overall scheme of things. But your part, well, my part, everyone's part who's listening, if we all do 
our thing before the Lord, with our gifts and our calling, we're contributing to God's purposes in our time. And one day we'll see how it all fits together. Now put all that together. You have a wonderful biblical view of time, of kairos, of seizing the moment. And I think it's the richest, most profound view of time there's ever been. Mm. As we finish up, I, I love to end with this question. And, uh, you know, I see you as someone who communicates through your writing and through conversations, your talks, tremendous wisdom and insight. Would you say a word first to parents? You know, um, you have a captive audi- audience of parents here. Uh, give them a word uh, about moving forward uh, in, uh, you know, to the honor and glory of God. And then a word to youth workers as well who are working with students, you know, how to move forward in their ministries to the honor and glory of God in light of everything that we've talked about here and what you've studied and seen over the course of your lifetime. We know the life of faith and the way of freedom, take it politically, all depend on trust. At the heart of a good life is trust, trustworthiness, faithfulness, predictability, dependability. And the deepest schooling for the best view of trust is the family. So we've got to have unshaken confidence in the family as being the heart of the place where faith and freedom and trust are formed. Now, you can see in our society an incredible onslaught on the family. And all of us who follow Jesus have got a courage, have got to have the courage to break with that. We're countercultural. We believe in families where there's a deep sense of love and sacrifice and self-giving and all these things. So above all, we are believers in the family. Now, second thing I would say is, you know, with the craziness of the culture collapsing around us, we've got to keep our uh, our kids ahead of the game. So as they go to schools, prepare them for what we know is coming. They go to university, a challenge of new ideas. If we keep them ahead of the game, they're not surprised and shocked by what's coming. Mm. But above all, our own hearts have got to have an unshakable confidence in the gospel and in all the significance of the gospel for families, for human dignity, for the whole of life, and so on. So what a... This is a great time to be parents. There's no one more crucial than parents in today's world. Mm. That's awesome. Thank you for that. And, and thank you for everything you've done with your writing over the years. We're going, we're going to include on the podcast page a link to Oz Guinness's uh, homepage, ozguinness.com. And if you just go to cpyu.org and look for the podcast player for this particular episode of Youth Culture Matters, you'll find that. We'll link there as well to more of his books, including Carpe Diem Redeemed, Seizing the Day, Discerning the Times, which is his latest, published by InterVarsity Press. And we'll include links as well to everything else that was mentioned today. So, Oz, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, blessings to you as you move forward with your your work of discerning the times and challenging the rest of us, it's so, so valuable. Well, a great privilege to be with you. God bless and thank you. Thanks so much. And for everyone who's listening, uh, we hope that this has been beneficial to you. I'm sure it has been. And we'd love to have you continue to, to talk about what, what we started to talk about today. We'll travel uh, this journey with you and stick with us as well. Come back for the next episode of Youth Culture Matters.
Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.